What up, what up? Thank you for being here. Today's episode is tragic comedy and ter- tra- <laughs> Today's episode is tragic comedy and trajectories. <laughs> for anyone who knows what my mouth looks like, they can see the way my weird lips move when I say those words. Anyway, today's episode is actually about the relationship that I had with my son's dad, which was the most long-lasting relationship I've been in, so six years, but also the most in-depth, holy shit, like, so I'm going to go ahead and unpack that a bit. This this episode's going to be really emotional, so let's just get into it, like, now. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start in the beginning which was circa 2011, September. The um, daddy issues, uh, male figure in my life, (laughs) moved out of my house. It was about two weeks after this. It was a Friday. I was walking down the hall in my office and my son's dad was walking down the hall going the opposite direction. And I was going out to break and he was coming in from break. And when he walked by... I just was like, I don't know. I always do this. I do random cat calls, right? So when he walked by, I was like, (laughs) and I just kept walking. I didn't, I didn't even say anything or look. I just kept walking and he like turned around. He told me like, when I heard that he, he had one headphone out, one headphone in. So when he heard it, he was like, what? So he followed me outside. Um, he came to ask me to listen to his music. And so he follows me outside. I'm like smoking my cigarette. And I'm. he's like, you want to listen to this real quick? Listen to this. Tell me what you think. And I was like, okay. And I put the ear, the earbud in and I was like, holy shit, who is this? And he was like, that's me. And I was like, shut up. This is you? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, no, for real. And he was like, yeah, that's me. And I was like, I am in love with you. I was like, this is amazing. His music's just amazing. It's beautiful. It's fucking super just authentic um, rap, you know, the way that he comes at his beats and the way that he um, produced his sound. It was just amazing. So anyway, he looks at me because I just was like, I'm in love with you and super huge grin on his face. Um, We became like instant friends after that. So that day, the girl that carpools me home was carpooling him. So we ended up exchanging numbers. And we had worked together for about nine months, like almost a year. And he had asked around the office about me, but I was dealing with daddy issues. So everyone at the office knew like, oh no, you don't want to deal with that. She's in a complicated thing. It's just not cool. So he didn't try, never tried to holler at me, but he's like, I checked for you. Like I asked a bunch of people if you had a man, like what your situation was. He's like, everyone told me not to talk to you. And I was like, of course they did. Haters. So long and short was, that was kind of the meetup of our situation. We um, started spending literally every day together after that weekend. Like, so after that weekend, we text all weekend. And then come Monday, we were pretty inseparable. I would ride the bus with him every day. He was in rehab, so he had to be back at a certain time. Um, And there was, you know, just rules to things he was allowed to do and not allowed to do. So we would ride the bus every day, go sit at a coffee shop for four fucking hours. And 
he would go home and I would ride the bus home or my sister and my mom would come get me. And we were super in love. Like that first year, September to September, we were obsessed with each other. Like, and it wasn't just like obsessed with each other. We did a lot of stuff too. We liked to uh, study shit. Like we watched a lot of different types of information. I'm going to segment off because prior to meeting me, my son's dad was actively Mormon. Like his religion he identified with as Mormon. And I'm going to get into, you know, just some selfish shit that happened with me, but I wanted to kind of preface first with like, let's first start with the ways in which this year kind of unfolded. That first year was all about studying. It was all about growth. We were building on a YouTube um, kind of thing. We would record videos, like conspiracy videos, when celebrities died of suspicious deaths. <laughs> and they got a lot of play, bro. Like, they got a shit ton of play. We were hitting curves. And we learned that YouTube is a goldmine. If you know how to properly use it, you don't even have to be that good at it. It's a goldmine, though. That was a neat experience. That entire year of just building with someone professionally, emotionally, like we hit every level and it wasn't without its issues. But in that particular first year, we were solid on this trajectory of, man, we could take over the world. Like between us, we could take over the world, our brains, everything we think, everything we know. It's amazing. I love that level of like young love. You're just, ah, things are so cool. We could just do all the things. So 2011 was dope. Um, but I want to get into what happens when you break someone's matrix. Because that's what happened with me and my son's dad. Is I broke his matrix and the after effects of it weren't felt until a little bit further down the road. So that's what we're going to get into next. Thanks for being here. So part of what I just prefaced about my son's dad being predominantly Mormon and breaking his matrix. When Zach and I first got together, it was probably like week two or three, maybe a little bit further down the road because he was able to start having like sleepovers. So he was able, I had to get approved at the rehab and the rehab would let him come spend the night with me. So when that started happening, there was one particular time we really got into religion. I was just like, what do you believe in? And he was like, well, I'm Mormon. And I was like, what? No, you're not. No, you're not. And I said it just like that. And when I think about it now, I just, I, I realize how fucking selfish it was. Like, I just realized how fucking selfish it was. And that sometimes we think we know what's best for everyone, but we just really don't. Like, it's just not fair of us to think of life that way. Now, everything happens for a reason. So I'm not saying any of this out of regret because I don't do that. But I would say for certain that this is one of those situations where the hard lesson was learned. So he was like, I'm Mormon. And I was like, no, you're not. I was like, let's watch some documentaries. We spent a whole fucking day watching Zeitgeist and Chimatica and like all of these like matrix breaking documentaries, things that teach you about the system as a whole. And not only that the system is like pre-set up, but that the system is a mask of another system, which is a mask of another system. Like when you really start getting into the rabbit holes, Everything you learn about on the internet is going to be your superficial base. And then when you start digging a little bit deeper, you start synchronizing and connecting more dots so that things that are seemingly separate actually are working together. So when we did this day of documentaries, 
I remember that Zach slept like a baby. He slept so fucking hard. And I was like, yeah, I bet his brain's overloaded. It wasn't until, you know, we get further into our relationship that he explained to me how that really affected him and how initially it wasn't it wasn't a thing. It was like, holy shit. It was like being, it was like Pandora's box, essentially. It was like opening up something that you couldn't put back in because all of a sudden all these new key awarenesses were made. And Zach was a really intricate thinker. So once these observations were made, he could never just turn them off and pretend like they didn't exist. They were going to bother him because he felt like he needed to save people. He felt like he needed to help people make moves, do things that would help awaken other people in the way that he just was, right? So this was beautiful. It was amazing. But later on down the road, we got into how this removed his foundation. This removed who he thought he was without his permission it was literally just like no that's not you do some other shit and without that permission it literally can take someone's entire structure away they've built and predicated their life on this and if you just come shove new ideas down their throat that are logical but that are also like they, they remove all of that for a person you can actually psychologically fucking hurt them like for real it actually does psychological damage. And I say that coming from the person who explained it to me. Like, I don't think you realize that when that happened, I did not know who I was anymore. All of a sudden, I had no idea who I was. It was like Neo in the Matrix. So there's this level at which I now express to people, like, I know a lot of things, but I don't. There's plenty of stuff that I'm going to keep to myself or at least wait and, and have someone inquire about it before I just go shoving things down people's throats. This was the kind of thing that I thought I was doing someone a favor because who wouldn't want to know and not realizing that I was kind of yanking his entire tree, his entire tree of life, everything that was inside of him. Um, I was, I derooted it and, and he was grasping to figure out how to put the roots back in with the new information that got hard. That got really hard. It got harder as time progressed. My ignorance was, just metaphysical it was just beyond I couldn't even believe I was this level of ignorant in the situation because we couldn't know what we couldn't know so while my intentions were the best of the best and I'm like oh I meant to do good I wanted you to know I couldn't know what I know now which was how deep-rooted that can affect someone based on where their psyche is at and him being in rehab and being um, having clean time was a place where his his brain was really malleable to information. So anything that had a big impression was going to make a big impression. And he definitely said, you know, this contributed a lot to like self-worth stuff when he got back into addiction. A lot of this not really knowing who he was and being really detached from the religion that connected him to his parents. Like there's a lot of shit that that did to, to him that was not fair of me to implement without his permission. So I bring that into play because I think we strike tragedy when we expect other people to know, do, think, operate the things that we do. If you're fucking with someone and they're not up to your level, it's important to figure out how to inquire with them if they want to be, if they'd like to learn the things that you know, if they would like to learn that shit from you because it's going to shake people's reality. People have to be ready for that. Some people want to be ready, but they're not. No matter how hard they fucking try. They're like, I want to know, I want to get it, but they can't let you 
they can't get to the bottom of the of the lesson they're stuck on the first two sentences of the lesson they're asking 75 questions about the first two sentences of the lesson and you're like you're not ready for this I'm just saying you're not ready for this people get really offended and really mad but it's like if you're getting hung up on two sentences of the whole paragraph you're not ready for this this is college and you're in second grade there's a difference there's nothing wrong with that just upgrade yourself you're gonna have to get on the next levels jump through get into your intuition all right i'm done with this segment all right so it's may so maybe nine eight months um he gets kicked out because he has been flagrantly spending his money and he's just been bullshitting like he's been lying about stuff he's pawning his microphone he's doing certain things that are uh, pretty indicative of addict behavior in my head i was like why are they so mad it's your stuff you can't pawn your stuff i was just like rationalizing for him because i had no fucking idea what i was getting into none literally none i had the like grandiose idea that i would never let someone be on drugs and be with me like there was no way i was gonna be with someone who was on drugs yeah right i don't use drugs (laughs) so i had this idea like he was never going to go back because he was dealing with me now and he didn't even know who he was dealing with. I, it's so funny to think how grand he was. Anyway, he calls me. It's like they kicked me out and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, well, I guess you're going to come live with me. You know, like I had a house to myself. I had officially like lived on my own for this while. I Just me and my cat. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I just got to pay my mom rent and shit. You know, like we just have to make sure we're on to point with the stuff. And he was like, okay. So he moved in with me. Then we were just married that whole summer. The summer of 2012 was like the funnest and it was sad too because my cat died. My cat was two, my neighbor poisoned him and I found him and it was fucking, it was the saddest thing I had experienced at that time was going out back and finding my dead cat and having a dream about him the night before and not like knowing he was in the dark and I couldn't find him, it was so fucking sad. So that summer of 2012, like that hit me really hard. This summer, I was, like, really aiming towards, like, please don't lose anyone. And another cousin ended up passing away right around my grandpa's death date. So Zach ended up meeting my whole family at that funeral. Every other element of the summer was just me and him. Like, the idea of what it means to be a honeymooner in love, that's the energy we had this entire summer. He was my support system, and I was his. And, and we weren't exactly administering proper behavior. He was using Kratom, which I didn't know at the time, I didn't know, uses your opiate receptors and you're like, that's where it goes in your body. And when I found that out, I was like really pissed, but I didn't know that at the time. So he was using Kratom and I was fine with that. And I was still smoking weed and I was like, and I don't drink. So we never had any like weird altercations. We just both kind of did our herbs, you know, and was like, fine. September, October, the beginning of October was our anniversary first of October, which is the same anniversary as my grandparents. We found out I was pregnant in November of 2012, a couple of days after, or I think right around his dad's birthday. And his birthday's in November too, so I guess a week after his birthday, we found out I was pregnant with Lyric. And that I was at the point where I probably got pregnant around our anniversary. And I remember this particular experience. Like, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what day my kid was conceived. Because it was mind-blowing. The experience was awesome. And when I timed it out, I was like, that had to have been our anniversary sex. Like, it just had to have been because that experience was amazing. Like, what? My kid couldn't come into the world a better way than that kind of love and energy. And I'm super thankful 
that that's where we were at in our relationship and in our lives when this happened to us because we I was scared and he was scared but he was so fucking excited like he was so excited he was just like this is gonna be awesome oh, I'm gonna be a dad to me yo you know I was like hella paranoid in my entire life that I wouldn't catch a dude that would feel that way when we got pregnant Fast forwarding into about three months, no, two months after I found I found out I was pregnant. Because um, I found out I was pregnant in the middle of uh, November, and I quit my job in the middle of January. I was like, yo, I have no filters. All the filters are gone. The management at this place is the most crooked thing I've ever seen. And I'm talking crooked. I won't even go into details because I'm sure they'd get in trouble if I like was really to talk about some of the things that went on in this shady company that doesn't exist anymore. And so I was like, I have no filters for you people. Like, I have to go. I do. Maybe I'll come back, but I have to go. And they weren't happy about it, but they let me go. And I did. And that's really when my like, I'm not working until this kid can use language kind of started. Um, I did a couple little side hustles. I worked for a couple of friends, just making little side money, cleaning and getting shit done while I was pregnant, writing articles, doing some social media. That was cool. Okay, so at this time I had also figured out that Zach was using Kratom and I had kind of researched a little bit more into what Kratom was. So I was like super boathouse pregnant and I was like, bro, you gotta get off this shit. This is basically legal heroin. And I was like so mad about it because it took me so long to like research it and give a fuck. And then by the time I did, I was like, I've been letting you do this for so long. This is like not cool. And I say letting him like it was my choice what he did with his life. Anyway, so at the time I was just super distraught and I was like, you have to quit this because it was it was a habit. It was costing a lot of fucking money. And because I wasn't working, we were fucked. And I'm sure that felt unfair to him because he was like, well, this is the only thing that helps me. Fuck you, man. And so my not working also caused a major strain on our relationship. It caused a major strain because of my anxiety. It caused a major strain because of my, my depression. It also just caused a major strain because that's a lot of pressure to put on a person who wants to save the world, who already wants to save the world. And then like, you know, that's, I understand that the large majority of society is like, he's a man. It should be his job to go to work and take care of this baby and take care of you. But we're in a society now where Two heads are better than one, man. And it, it's important to have a support system of people who help you with your baby. It's important to have a, a solid, like, sounding board of people who give you real advice and hold you accountable to shit. We're in this society where sending one person to work and the other person staying home is just not easy. It's not easy to do. If it can be done, awesome. I encourage it as long as it's not putting too much pressure on the other person. Because the one person who gets up and goes to work gets up and feels resentful that they got to get up and go to work every fucking day. And you don't have to. And then you feel resentful because you get up and you move around the house and you take care of kids and you handle the things that get done around here on a regular basis. And they don't see that. So you feel like as long as both people can come to an equal exchange and give each other the right amount of support for the things that they need, for the things that they're doing, that can be a balanced situation. But right now, financially, who there's not very many people who have the capability to do that. And at this point in time, we really didn't have the capability to do that. But I was like, I am depressed and I am 
bipolar and my separation anxiety, I don't know how to work um, once I had Lyric. So Zach never complained about it. I reflect on it now and he just, when we would get into fights, you know, it would come up, but he never complained about it, man. He came home every day and he just handled business. I would be home with Lyric all day and I would need to go to the grocery store and like get things done at night. And he would come home and he would just hang out with Lyric, just play with him, feed him. Lyric wouldn't eat for me. For a long period of time, Lyric would not fucking eat with me. He would only eat when Zach got home. And so Zach had to come home and like sing to him to get him to open his mouth so he would eat because he wouldn't eat with me. It didn't matter that Zach had his addictions or had his issues. Like overall, this was a person that showed up. He cared about us. He worked his ass off to prove it. And that is something that I think it's hard for women sometimes to reflect on and find joy in and just be grateful for. We just get so entitled to this man and his life and his time. And we just think he belongs to us. So this is his job. We had his baby. And it's deeper than that. This is a whole person. This is a person with flaws, a person with imperfections, a person with talents, creativity, a whole heart. They've had things that have made them sad. They've had things that have overjoyed them to the point of tears. Like this is a whole fucking person we're dealing with. So I reflect on it now and I 100% am always like, man, just because you do drugs doesn't mean you have to be a shitty parent. Like, you can show the fuck up for your kids because I watched someone do it. Even in his hardest times, my kid fell asleep with his dad every fucking day for like a year, two years almost. Like, those are priceless things. So regardless of what this person was struggling with, those are fucking priceless. And you can't trade that. And you certainly shouldn't try to dismiss it just because someone has addiction issues. So, I... I'm going to stop right there with this segment. All right. So right before I had Lyric, I really encouraged Zach to pick a medication and get on something controlled so that he could try to balance out his addiction. At this time, it was moving back and forth between benzos and kratom. And I had known people who had used Suboxone. So I brought up Suboxone and said, I don't really care for medications like at all, but I do care that someone controls and watches what you do and what you're taking. And I was hoping that there would be a little bit more (laughs) self-control that came out of this, but of course Suboxone is super easy to abuse. That still became a struggle in and of itself um, between running out of Suboxone and using Kratom when you're running out of Suboxone. It was a mess. So the Suboxone didn't end up helping, but once Lyric was about six months, Lyric actually got a hold of one, ended up in the hospital for two and a half days. And it was the scariest fucking moment of my life. Um, He had, Zach had left it on the table and Lyric put it in his mouth. And Zach went in the living room, saw that Lyric had put it in his mouth, pulled it off of his tongue and was like, what do we do? And I was like, we get in the fucking car. And we drove to the hospital. We got in the hospital in like seven minutes. And they were looking at me crazy because they were like, why didn't you call an ambulance? And I was like, fuck that. I'm just going to get my kid to a hospital. So they had to give him naloxone. They had to IV him immediately because he was starting to lose consciousness. And they had to give him naloxone for like two days um, to keep the blockers in his brain from receiving any level of the Suboxone. And it was this, it was so fucking scary because he could have died. There's kids that have died from this. This is fucking, this is not, this is a dangerous drug. And I didn't tell anybody that. We told people that he got a hold of Zach's anxiety medication because at the time, no one knew that Zach was taking Suboxone. 
And I told Zach I would have killed him. Like, I would have went to prison because I just would have killed you because I would not have been able to live with my life if this would have happened. Like, at, at some point, we have to solve these fucking big problems, you know? And this was when Lyric was six months. So this was really early into parenthood. That was like a, a pretty big red flag. You know, I just kept trucking and he did and he tried to get into a couple of programs later down the road, but we'll get there. So this happens. Things I perceive, at least for this first little while, kind of balanced out. Like he was using his Suboxone. We we had gardened in 2013 before I had Lyric. We started a garden. So in 2014, um, we were doing it again. We were going to garden again this year and like put efforts into like having the baby outside. And that's, we spent a shit ton of time outside. Like, Um, 2014 was really beautiful. And then in August of 2014, um, my neighbor, my neighbor died from a heroin overdose and his, so his little boy came over, asked me, asked me and Zach to come help him because he couldn't wake his dad up. And Zach was like holding Lyric and he looked at me and he was like, you have to go over there. And I was like, why do I have to? Like, you go over there. Like, what do you mean? And he was like, I don't think I can go face what I think is happening. And I said, oh, come on. Like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So I went over to my neighbor's house. And sure enough, he was unconscious and wasn't breathing. And um, there's a beautiful, beautiful out. Okay, so like, let's side traject. When this happened to him, his wife like cleaned up her whole life. Like her, she was, you know, she was having issues with him at the time. And after this, she's she's like one of the most she's one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my whole life because I had been friends with these guys for years. But her life is she's clean, she's sober. Her son is a teenager now. Like it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to watch that tragedy can really like blossom beautiful things. Like she's an inspiration to me all day, and I just couldn't praise her enough. I don't even know if she'll ever listen to this, but I just could not praise her enough for how much just her strength and the things that she does on a regular basis now still inspires strength in me, still inspires my heart. When I just think about her, I'm going to cry. I'm super emotional. (laughs) As you can tell, you can hear my voice. I'm so choked up. Okay. So that happens. He passes away. Two days later, I saw a dude get hit by a car in front of the house on a bike. Watch this car just hit this dude and a dude goes flying and rolls and I screamed and and he lived. He was fine. Everyone was fine. Earlier that same day, a dude had come by and stole my keys to my house. And so I was already in this weird state because this guy had come by, smoked a cigarette with me, and then left. And I had went next door to help like with my neighbors because, you know, he had passed away. His body was at the hospital. She was at the hospital with him and her aunts had come by. So I was next door. My son's dad's in the back of the house. This guy literally opens my front door and steals my house keys and my car keys because, like, they're all together. And my wallet. He stole my wallet, too, that had my son's hair in it. My son's baby hair. Fucking asshole. Anyway, um, I ended up getting the wallet back, too, but no baby hair. So fucking weird. So anyways, um, all that happens in, like, a a four-day window. Like, all these tragic events. My neighbor passes away. This guy steals my house keys. And then this other guy gets hit by the car. I was just like, I got to move. I got to move out of this fucking house. This house is so bad. So that was like the next step in our relationship was figuring out, okay, where are we going to go? Because we got to go somewhere. And that's where I'm going to end this segment so we can get into where we moved to and why this literally just set us up for exactly the trajectory that we took. Thanks for being here again. Again.
All right. So for what it's worth, the apartment complex that we ended up moving into, I had had my eyes on for years. My friend had lived here for like five, six years. And I was like, I can't wait for one of those to open because it was like the coolest little setups. Like one big bedroom upstairs with the bathroom, your main floor, because they were it's a sixplex. So your main floor was just like your living room, your kitchen, your little galley house kitchen. But then you have a basement that had a laundry room and a little ass like weird office style bedroom. Now, this fucking house, man. It was cool. It was like the coolest setup, but where it was located was downtown in Salt Lake. And at this particular time, it was near an area that we call air quotes, the block. Um, because at the time, this block was literally, well, it was more like a couple of blocks, but it was literally like this one space where everything had been overrun. Like pretty much this was, this was how this was going down. The police did not have control over this space at this period of time. So when we moved down there, you know, Zach told me after the fact, um, bro, I knew, I knew this was going to be trouble. Like moving down there, I knew it was going to be trouble, but I just hoped for the best. That's all we could do. Because we were moving so close to all of the things that were his vices. Like, I've never been addicted to drugs. Like, not coke, not crack, not meth, not heroin, not nothing. Because I just, that's a longer story to get into. But it's just never, ever been a thing for me. So, like, for me, living downtown was cool. I had lived downtown before. I had a little studio apartment downtown that I told you about in previous episodes. So... All right, let's circle this. This was March, April-ish of 2015 that we moved, right? So all this stuff happens with my neighbor at the end of the summer in 2014. We're working on things through that winter. And um, come like spring, I'm like, okay, we've, we've got to officially go. So we get this space and we move into it. And the first two, three months are really, really cool. Like the first April to like June, July was for me was nice, but Zach and I were bickering like a lot. Um, especially during June, July, we were having a lot of back and forth, just bickering over stupid, small stuff. And I was getting frustrated. I was just like, am I even supposed to be with this guy? I'm not sure I'm supposed to be with this guy. So that summer I had this dream, man. It was like the weirdest fucking dream. And so I had this dream. It was a dream inside of a dream. So I had this dream that Zach died. I had a dream. I don't know. He hit his head. I remember in the dream he fell asleep. And I thought he looked like he hit his head in the bathroom. And I found him. And I was like, yo. And in my dream, I was like, oh, my God. Like, once I realized, you know, he was dead. I was like, yo. He went back with his parents. And I started, like, having, you know, like, Because I should probably should have prefaced this. But both of Zach's parents passed away. His mom passed away when he was 20. His dad passed away when he was 23. And I was, we were 25 when we met. So, yeah, it gives you a little bit of context about kind of this tragedy that was in his life right before we had met. So, this is 2015. We were 20, yeah, we were 28 going on 29. I was 29, he was going on 29. So, yeah, we were 28. At this particular time, this dream took place. I was 29, he was 28. Sorry, not to sidetrack. I'm so ADD. All right, so this dream... He hit his head and I was like, oh, he's going back to his parents. And then I like was like, this isn't real. This isn't real. And so I tried to wake myself up from it. And when I woke up from the dream, I was in another dream. I was like in a different place. And in this place, it was like we were talking about his funeral. I'm like planning his services and shit. 
And I was like, it was a room full of people. And I remember waking up on a futon that had like, it was like made out of, you know, like uh, Western, like log style furniture. And I remember being in the room and listening to all these people talk about him. And I was just like, this isn't real. And I just remember saying that like a million times. It's like, this isn't real. I want to get the fuck out of here. This isn't real. And I woke up in my bed, in my bedroom. And I fucking leapt out of bed. Because it was like probably 7.38 in the morning. And I leapt out of bed. And I ran downstairs. And he was getting ready for work. And he was like putting on his painter pants. And we had slept separately that night. He slept on the couch. And I slept upstairs with the baby. And I just hugged him so fucking hard. I hugged him so fucking hard. And I just was like, please don't die. Never die. I was like, holy shit. I've never had a more real dream. This was so fucking scary. I never want to lose you. Like, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have you. I need to, I need you to know no matter what. I just, I love you and I want to be with you. And I don't want to ever give up on you. And I, I believe in you. I just said everything I felt, you know, like I just, I offloaded it on him. And he—he's a Scorpio. He's just like, it's okay. It's just a dream. It's okay. He just like brought it all the way down. Just de-escalated all my hysteria. And he was like, it's just a dream. It's okay. I'm okay. I'm right here. And I just remember how deeply that dream changed my reactions to him moving forward because. When we started bickering, I was just like, okay. And I started like, um, retreat where I would just like fall back. And I, instead of arguing with him, I would just go do my own thing. At the time I thought this was the healthiest way to deal with the solution or the issue. Now I realized that because it wasn't like I just retreat and I'd never come back. It's like I would retreat for like an hour and then I would come downstairs and like cuddle up to him and just tell him how much I loved him and just be close to him. And just try to like reaffirm the love because I think what this dream showed me more than anything was like that I didn't know how long I was going to be with him. Like that I was sitting here wondering if I should be with him or if I should leave or I should be with someone else while our baby's still young. Like if I should just go. And this dream was like, well, you don't even know how long you have, stupid. Like you should just love him for who he is. Like right here, he's right here. And if you don't know how long you have someone, then you should just show up for them if you love them so that dream was summer of 2015 it kind of set a trajectory for kind of how I dealt with the next year that dream gave me a perspective where I realized I was gonna think more clearly about the things that I had I was gonna try and just find gratitude in the moments because it fucking scared me that dream scared the shit out of me like holy shit it scared me so bad because it was so real it's so fucking real. I couldn't even explain it to you. It's so fucking real to be in that dream. So, okay, I'm going to end the segment with that. And then let's kind of get into a little bit of what happened with 2016. All right, so it's like October 2015 at this point as we're moving into 2016. And at this point, I didn't know that there had been anything kind of off. Um, I chalked up a lot of stuff to Zach just overworking. And um, I chalked his stress up just to how he kind of copes with life. 
So it wasn't until like closer to Christmas, he told me this story about how he busted a chandelier at one of the job sites and he had to pay for it now out of his check because his boss had to cover it. So our checks, his checks were going to be short. And I was like, okay, you know, I was like, shit, that sucks. But I was like, at least we'll get it done. And so I was explaining this story. I had told a couple of people this story, but it wasn't until I was telling one of my friends who I consider spiritually to be very powerful. And she kind of lifts my vibration. But as I was explaining it to her, I could feel that it was a lie. I could feel that it wasn't the truth. And I don't know how to explain that, but I, I was on camera with her. We were Zooming or Skyping or whatever. And I'm explaining to her, like, yeah, we're going through this thing. And then I looked at her and she looked at me and she like nodded her head very gently. And I was like, that's a lie. That's not the truth. And it was weird because I had like uncovered it with her without really knowing it. I had told a couple of other people, yeah, I was acting this thing. We're going through this thing. But when I told her, as it was coming out of my face, I could tell it was bullshit. It was nuts. And I love her. She's so fucking cool. So anyway, this happens. And I'm like, oh, my God, is he using? Fuck, I think he's using. And then like a week, two weeks later, I found tinfoil in her bathroom. It was like, fuck, he's on heroin. <laughs> so... 2016, the early part of 2016 was really, really hard. Like it was a lot and I didn't know what to do. I spent the first part of that year just kind of, just kind of like juggling the act because I didn't tell anyone, I didn't want anyone to judge him. So I kept a lot of things to myself and the only people that really knew were people in my family because I needed help and they had been through this before, so they understood, you know, why I was requesting privacy, but I hadn't said anything to his family. And it wasn't until it was, like, getting really bad in that summer that I finally had to, like, talk to his sisters and say, look, this is this is a problem and I don't know what to do. And they weren't happy, you know, like, his, he had his siblings come visit us, and I think his sister picked it up when she was with us, no matter how hard Zach tried to hide that he was, like, struggling with things. Um, I think his sisters were just super intuitive because everybody is much older than him. All his siblings were much, much older. And so he's, he was so young when they were, when, when they were all grown. So they all really see him very closely, like motherly to son, you know, especially since their mom is gone. And these are his sisters on his mom's side. So when I explained it to them, um, one of them was really not happy that I hadn't worked and I was really upset and pissed off about that at the time, but I understand now why she felt that way. And I get it. Like, I really, really do. So I certainly don't hold that on her feelings at all. I think that was a very warranted way to feel um, that her brother could have been supported better. And I, I definitely don't negate that at all. Um, but she, so so he, she lives down south and she was like, okay, well, just ship him here, basically. There's a brother and a sister that lives down there. They've got whole-ass families. His brother moved down there so that he could um, get clean as well, like 10 years earlier. And he did. He ended up getting clean. So it was looking like a good thing, like move down there and then I'll follow you. So come October 2016, um, Zach moved down with his sister. And he's working with his brother, doing roofing. So he had figured out how to get on the dark webs and, and order shit. And it was becoming a problem. And so it was part of shipping him out of here and getting him somewhere in the middle of nowhere was, how do we do that? But then 
people don't realize you can still get access to things in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's not complicated. So there was this one experience where I was talking to him and I could tell that he was like nodding off and he was like really slurred speech. And he, this, he, this dude's 1200 miles away from me. And I'm asking him to give me like, tell me what he sees in front of him. And he's telling me the names of things, the store, uh, a place, a, a, you know, different names of stuff, um, markers. And his brother, he's in a work truck. It's freezing ass cold, fucking October, November. And it's frigid, like freezing temperatures. And my baby's dad is in a work truck with the work truck turned on, parked on the side of the road because he knows he can't drive it because he's going to wreck it if he drives it. And I don't know where he is. And his brother has no idea where he is. And his phone's about to die. So I call his brother and I explain to his brother what he told me. And I start trying to figure out where he is on the map. And I asked his brother if he would be close to this area. And his brother was like, yeah. His brother ended up finding him. Going, finding him, passed out in the fucking truck. Could have died. Like if this truck would have ran out of gas and just left him there for two hours, he would have died of just being frozen. His brother finds him. This is a pretty big deal. Everyone's like, we don't know what to do. And then his brother figures out that he's now getting stuff shipped to his house. And so his brother's like, fuck that. He has to go home. So they send his ass home to me on Christmas Eve. So we spent Christmas together that year. And I was like crossing my fingers for the best. But, you know, addiction's fucking hard. Addiction is so fucking hard. And, you know, at this time, like, I hadn't smoked. I hadn't um, partaken of THC for years. And so at this time, a couple of things have sides him almost dying twice. Because the other time he totaled his sister's car and just totaled the car. So besides those, my grandma died. My grandma passed away. She had a just random, like, heart attack in the middle of the night and just died. And... I was going through that and I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to smoke weed, I guess, because I'm feeling some kind of way. So I had now picked up my weed habit again, which didn't add into anything. It made things worse. I was also super overweight at this time. I was eating a lot and food was my addiction. When I wasn't smoking, food was my addiction and drama and anger. I realized that now. Those were the three things that I had spent a lot of effing energy on when I wasn't smoking. So he had overcorrected driving up the canyon when he was on the way to a job and someone saw it and he had gotten back on the road and he was fine but they ended up pulling him over like once he got off the exit they ended up pulling him over like what happened back there man and he's half half sauced because him and I were up and he was fighting with me until two in the morning three in the morning we were fighting till two or three in the morning so he already had not had enough sleep and he was like half high all the time so he just wasn't coherent really can't even believe he was functioning driving a car. That's kind of how they were. So they took his blood, I think, without permission, um, put him in jail. And this was the first time I'd ever faced that, like him actually going to a cage. And then me being like, oh, fuck, what am I supposed to do now? Because I'm not this bitch. Like, this is not my lifestyle. Like, what the hell? I was so weird. So he ends up staying there for a few days. And I bailed him out and got the car out and you know because it was like you got to go back to work man like what the fuck are we gonna do and he knew that too he was like yeah i gotta fucking i gotta sort this shit out now i've got charges and stuff and i also was like okay well maybe this is the thing that sorts you back out because maybe you just need to be back on paper like you haven't been on paper now at this point for a long time maybe this is what you need so i was pushing for rehab i was pushing for 
change. This was now officially, um, this happened in March of 2017. So he went to his sister's house at the end of 2016. And he um, came home Christmas Eve 2016. And then we were right back into the fucking crazy by the second week of January. And then the car accident, or the overcorrection on the car thing, the DUI, came in March. You know, by April, May of 2017, I had already been like back and forth just staying at my sister's because I was just like, he's, you know, stuff's showing up in the fucking mail. Like, I'm not going to be at risk of having my kid taken from me. Like, I, I don't co-sign to this shit. This ain't my deal. Plus, when I was leaving, he was having all sorts of weird fucking people over. So our house was like turned into a trap house. And I just was like, I can't come home and feel safe. This is crazy. You know, like, this is so crazy. So 2017, I was fucking couch surfing homeless with my three-year-old, four-year-old. That time, Lyric just turned four. And um, it was in August. I just kind of sat down with the universe and I was like, look, man, I really want to see Zach become the man that my son needs. I made a lot of claims in this particular thing. The first one was that my son needed a sibling. So if I needed to get out of the way so that Zach could have a baby with another person, I would get out of the way. If, I, if that's what I needed to do, I would do that. That ultimately, I just wanted him to be safe and I wanted him to be okay. And that I would quit smoking cigarettes. I made the claim that I would quit smoking cigarettes. And I'm still struggling to do so. I'm still pushing to do that because this, this promise was so fucking important to me and I feel like I blundered it, but everything came out of it except for that. You know, it's important that you understand what kind of claims you make into the universe and how everything you say holds weight. So I made this claim and within a day or two, he got arrested and he was calling me from jail. And I was just like, shit, God's listening, right? Because I knew. I came from my whole heart. I wanted to quit smoking. I wanted to just live my life better. So I did. I quit smoking for two weeks. And he got arrested, got out of jail. He went back to jail because he didn't check in. And he got out again. And I had still quit smoking. I don't know why I picked cigarettes back up this time I mean I do it's always demons you know it's always like just heavy shit that weighs on you wants to absorb that energy from you at this point in time I picked the cigarettes back up but he had where we were at in our situation was I hadn't gone home I was house sitting for my aunt I let him come hang out with me one night and sleep next to me and I was just like I have to hold him accountable like, it just, it was the hardest thing ever to realize that I couldn't choose his life for him. And I tell people, like, this is where I figured out what radical acceptance was. Because it was the first time I just had to really acknowledge that I couldn't choose another person's life. I couldn't make someone do something I wanted them to do. I had to let him be who he was and make his own decisions. And I had to be okay with it. It wasn't, oh, I gotta let you and I gotta hate it. It was radical acceptances. I gotta be okay with it. This is the reality. This is your life. It's your choices. I don't get to tell you why you shouldn't do heroin, or why you should choose other things, or why you should put yourself in rehab. I don't get to tell you that. You have to make those choices independently. And I can encourage you and I can support you, but I can't enable you anymore. So he ended up back out just living on the streets because the reason he got arrested was because he broke into our landlord's house. And so he couldn't go back to the apartment. So he was on the streets for about two, three weeks. I think pretty sure that's about the time frame. And there was only a period of time where I didn't hear from him for like three days. And it was scary. And then on like day four, he called me and he was like, I need you to come get me. And I was like, why? And he was like, they've picked me up twice and I haven't had drugs on me. 
He's like, but I know they're going to pick me up again. And I know I'm going to have drugs on me and I'm going to go to prison and I can't go to prison. I'm not cut out for prison. And he didn't say that, but I was like, yeah, you're not cut out for prison. Cause I used to always say that you are not cut out for prison. You're cut out for rehab. And so he was like, I need you to come get me. And I was like, I can't because if I come get you, you won't do it. I said, but I'll send your brother. I know your brother will come get you right now. And his brother did. His brother was there in 20 minutes. Picked him up, took him back to his apartment, nursed his ass back to health, helped him get set up to go to rehab. And I told him, I am not. I can't come see you until you're actually on the steps to go into the rehab. I can't see you. Because I. And if you're going to do this, you're going to do it. It can't be me enabling you. It can't be me pushing you. It has to be you choosing. And... If I come see you, I'm going to show you that I don't, like, respect myself, essentially. And I'm going to let you keep doing this. So I have to set some boundaries. Like, no, I can't come see you. And he respected it. He told me, okay, well, I'm going to rehab on the 21st, which happened to be the day of the eclipse. He was due to check in at 1 o'clock. And we spent the last, like, 10 minutes of that eclipse together, me and him and Lyric, before he walked into the doors. It was a straight rebirth, man. That was a straight rebirth of our life. Like, we were hitting a different chapter right then. He knew it way more than I did. I was excited because I thought, this this is going to be great. Things are going to change. We're going to grow. And at this time, I was also doing this, like, um, cleanse, like this nutritional cleanse. So I was eating super clean, and I had, like, started dropping weight and stuff. And so I was feeling really good about the outcomes here. I was like, this is going to be great. This is going to work. And it was beautiful. It's, like, one of the most divine moments I've had with him ever and it was bittersweet it's also super duper bittersweet because it changed everything after that everything everything shifted in new directions so he goes into rehab and this is the same rehab he was in before that he got kicked out of and a big reason why I had pushed for him to go back to this rehab was because I felt like this was something he needed to accomplish. He needed to he needed to know that he could accomplish this. That this place wasn't just going to skate like getting to him because he was kind of this person who was like, man, that when somebody does some shady shit. I was like, if you go accomplish I want, I don't want to say the name of them, but if you go accomplish this rehab, you're going to feel good about it because you got the shit done because these guys have stuck it to you so fucking hard. And when people don't believe in you, sometimes that's the easiest. Like, revenge is the best form of success. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> success is the best form of revenge. Going out and actually accomplishing the goals that people people set set up and hate on you for and act like you can't do is, bro, that's how you succeed. Anyway. All right, so when he gets in there, the first thing I do is like, we need to get into family therapy. We need to get into parenting classes. What kind of stuff do they offer you that we can take for free as a team? And he was hella proactive. He signed over POA. He told me right off the bat, I put my power of attorney in your name so you can talk to my therapist. I want you to know I'm really serious. I'm working on everything. I want you to know everything that's going on with me. And I was like, bro, I'm not going to call your therapist like your mom. I'm not doing that. Like, I'm I'm super appreciative that you did that. Like, I was like, I'm super appreciative that you did that for me. That That means a lot to me that you like validate the person I am in your life and you know that like I have your best interests at heart enough that you would put that on me that's amazing that's I couldn't I can't even really say much to that you know so at the time I was like but I'm not calling your therapist (laughs) because that's where I was at in my head like I'm not calling your therapist 
Because at this time I was trying to just radical acceptance, like stay out of it, just stay out of his way. Let him choose what he wants to do and let him live and be present, you know? And I had was talking to a friend of mine that I'm, I was always back and forth talking to at this time. And I think I kind of solidified, like, I can't deal with this other guy. Like, I got to stick with my baby's dad. So I had kind of solidified in my brain that I understood that the possible outcome of being with my son's dad was that we could have another baby and he could relapse again. And if he relapsed again, he could die. And that's where my, you know, I was doing this radical acceptance thing. So I was being really, really fucking honest with myself. And I just, I remember this was October 2017, late October 2017. And I remember thinking that, like, my possible outcome looks like this. And I was just like, okay, God, I accept it though. Like, I accept it because I love this man and because... If I'm supposed to have another baby with him, I will. And I want to be with him. I care about him more than anything. And I just, I just want to be with him. And, um, he always crossroads to things. And so it's hard to reflect on these things because when you reflect on them, you get into the what ifs and the what ifs are, are goofy because everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. So when I kind of accepted this in my mind, he it only took a couple of weeks before I started feeling distance from him. He started calling me less. Our conversations were shorter. We were discussing lyric, and that was it. We were keeping shit really, really simple. And I knew, like, I fucking knew there was someone else. Like, I was just like, bro. And at this point in time, our relationship was in a gray area. Like, it wasn't, we weren't all the way broke up, but we weren't all the way together. It was in a really gray space because I had pretty much said, like, look, let's get through this, and then we'll determine if we're still engaged because we were engaged. Um, but we had never solidified that we weren't together yet. So it was kind of like this weird space where I was like, who's around? Like, who are you talking to? And he was so adamant. Nobody, nobody. You're jealous. And I was like, I'm whatever. I'm not crazy. Fucking intuitive, sir. So um, it was around Christmas time. He got sick. And this conversation we had, he was like, I was like, I'm gonna bring you some orange juice and some Sprite and like actual stuff. And he's like, I don't need any of that. They have that here. Will you bring me some soda? And I was like, I'm not bringing you Coca-Cola when you're sick. I was like, I just done this cleanse. I was all healthy, dropped all this weight. And I was like, fuck out of here. We're gonna do this? We're gonna argue over nutrition now? No, I'm not doing this. Oh my gosh. And then it started to set in for me that I was like, there are certain things that I'm gonna trigger him on because I'm not gonna do this with his ass. And I think that really set a tone for the both of us where we were like, all right, I think we know because this was right around Christmas. And I was just so frustrated that he was in rehab and I was like, I'm doing all the Christmas. Like I'm doing everything, man. And you're giving me so much distance. Like it was so hard. And so <laughs> the point where I was at, I was just fucking emotional. And it wasn't until at this point in time too, I should say, I was getting ready to move out of our apartment. Like, I knew that I was moving into, like, um, sublet for my friend's mom because she was going to go to Guatemala for six months. And so I knew I was going to go sublet her apartment with all her furniture. So I knew I was, like, going to move out and put my shit in storage. And mind you, this apartment had gotten really, really bad. Like, way bad. So as I was talking about subletting this apartment, I had kind of explained to him, like, they're going to put you in transitional living come the beginning of the year. Are you coming to live with me or are you going to go get an apartment? Because they'll help you get your own apartment. Like, they'll help you get your life set up. And we were really on the fence about that. So the day that I moved into this apartment, I just determined that I was going to call it. One way or the other, I was going to flip the coin and just call it. Because if he wasn't going to be with me, 
that I needed to move into this apartment knowing it was just me. Like it was on on me and I was going to be responsible for myself and I wasn't going to deal with what he was going to choose with his relationships. So we get there to this particular day. I'm doing laundry so I can go move into this apartment and I'm on the phone with him. And I just said, look, man, I'm just going to rip the bandaid off because you're not going to break up with me. So I'm just going to tell you we're not together and we're just friends. And that's where we stand. We'll just be friends. And he, his response to me, you know, was like, you're just going to let me go do that. You're going to let me leave. And I was like, I'm going to let you go make choices. I'm going to let you make decisions for yourself. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. Because that's what I've been doing, is just letting you live your life. Like, if you need to go have other experiences, that's okay with me. I would rather you go have those experiences. And I'll do the same and we'll figure that out. I think he was stunned, probably more than anything, at my response. So um, that's kind of where we sat with it. As I moved into this apartment, I was like, okay, we're not together. (laughs) And that's where that was. Now, we're going to sidestep slightly because I want to reiterate a couple of different things. Backtracking just a bit, this girl was in family therapy with us. I remember the first day that I met her was in this first group, and we have to tell our story, kind of why we're there with the person we're there with and what we're working on. And her story just, I almost like just started sobbing, like just because I was like, man, she's so strong. I'm so here for her goals, and I am so invested in her success. Like I felt this way day one with this female. So When I found out it was her, I was like, makes sense. (laughs) Because that day when the family therapy session had ended, him and I had had a discussion before I left. And I was like, she is so cool. I was like, she's strong, man. I'm like moved. She's really strong. And he was like, fuck yeah. He was like, every dude in here wants her. Like every dude in here is like falling all over her. He's like, and she's alpha as shit. She don't give none of these dudes no time of day. It's funny. He's like, it's hilarious to watch all these dudes hit on her. And she ignores all of them. And I just laughed and I was like, she's hot too. So that makes sense. And he was like, she likes girls. And I just like started laughing. He started laughing. I was like, we should marry her. And I bring that conversation up because I think the universe just shows you the funniest and coolest things. You know, there was one other time I had an instance with her before I knew it was her. And Zach and I were having this heavy conversation in the in the group not in the group and then one of our appoint um in one of our visits and lyric was in the room while we were having this heavy conversation you know and she came in and just started playing with lyric just started distracting lyric um driving cars around with him on the floor keeping him busy and in that moment i was just like so thankful for her i was like i'm so glad she's here to care about my son's feelings while I'm dealing with his father, arguing with over the dumb things we always argue over. Like in that moment in my mind, I was very, very thankful for her. And I think the universe allotted me these opportunities so that I could remember there were spaces where I loved her before I had a reason to not like her, right? Because obviously when something like this happens, everybody instantly needs you to go to, don't like that bitch. You can't believe she did this, blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't feel that way. I just felt like everything happens the way it's supposed to, you know? Fast forwarding, I was really emotional. It took me, it did take me, once I kind of found out, it took me a couple weeks to kind of unravel off of it. And Zach one day just was like, look, you got to calm down. Like, this just is what it is. You called it. We called it. Here we are. We got to stop. 
You got to stop with the emotional shit. You got to be okay. And I was like, <laughs> clean up my tears and shit. You're right. You're right. I got to put it together. So I did. And it was about two, three weeks later, he was calling me like, yo, we're going to have a baby. <laughs> I was like, what? And he was like, she's pregnant. She's like six weeks along. So she was like early stages. I was one of the first people to know because you can only operate in that space for so long before it's like two stars colliding. All right. So once I found out about the baby, first and foremost, I kept it to myself. I told no one. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want anybody to judge this baby. Like to me, this baby was so special and this baby was meant to be here. And there was nothing that was going to waver my opinion of that. And there was nothing that was going to send shitty energy at this baby. I just refused. So I didn't tell anyone until she was way later in her pregnancy. Like way later. Like third trimester. And then I finally told my family, like, so Lyric's going to have a little sister. <laughs> and I was, that went over well. They were all like, when? And I was like, you know, like in probably two months. <laughs> like, it's a vibe. Unfortunately, you know, pregnancy's hormonal and stuff. So Brittany and I didn't really, didn't really establish a friendship. There's a couple of things I'm not going to be all personal about in the situation, but her and I didn't really get to establish our friendship, I think, the way we, we were hoping to. And so unfortunately, the pregnancy was a lot more like rift between her and I in the sense of like distance. And so he felt that a lot. He was kind of stuck in the middle of this one doesn't want you to deal with that one. And that one wants you to tell this one that she was here first. And it's just kind of, you know, it was ego tripping. And so I'm fucking glad we're over that. I found out that they got engaged in July. Baby comes in October. They actually got married in December. Now, because of this, like kind of rift between her and I, there was a, a pretty palpable distance between Zach and I. Um, at the very end of 2018, we really didn't get to talk to each other much. Our our schedules with Lyric had to do with drop-off pickups at school. And I, Zach really wasn't, like, reaching out to me. Um, he wasn't speaking to me in terms of emotional stuff at this point. He had kind of, like, pulled the reins back on that. And I understand it. You know, he had given me kind of, understand like, pointers as to where he was trying to be at in his headspace. I understood it, but it didn't mean that it didn't piss me off and I didn't have opinions about it, you know? So there's a couple of things that happen is I let Zach have all the holidays in 2018. I let him have Lyric's birthday. I let him have Thanksgiving. I let him have, I let him have all of them. Um, I think maybe I took him on Thanksgiving, but I'm pretty sure I let him have them on all of them because I had had them the year before because he was in rehab. So it only felt right. But over the course of the solstice, when he brought Lyric back to me on Christmas, I just had this weird feeling, just like this weird, scary feeling in my stomach that would not go away. It was huge. And it was just like, I don't know, like butterflies, but bigger. And I was panicky. I was like, what is this girl up to? Like, I was, you know, I was blaming her. Like, I was like, what does she want? My whole family? She want my kid too? Like, I was, I was literally panicky about this. But it was so important to me that Lyric got to spend this time with his dad. It was like the most important thing to me in the world that Lyric just got to be with his dad and his baby sister. And I don't know. I just, I felt like I had to get over myself. So I did. And, you know, all's well ends well. He brought Lyric back. I didn't have anything to panic about. She didn't file custody paperwork and shit. You know, it wasn't that serious. By the time we hit January, February, Lyric was in Montessori and he was very much reacting outwardly with his drawings, stuff he would he was putting on paper. Like, he was writing Lyric Mom Dad, Lyric Mom Dad on everything. Lyric Mom Dad. And so, come March, 
me and Zach's conversation went along the lines of, we need to start buying divorce books. And we need to start talking about divorce with Lyric. So he understands what happened between you and I. And he understands why he has a separate situation over here. Like he needs to know this stuff and get through. And I was also harping on your wife is your wife. She needs to understand I don't want you like that. And I'm all the way like into someone else. And at the time it was, which I've explained this person in my previous her episode where I was so stuck on this person for like two years. It was so crazy. I couldn't even believe I, like now I can't even believe I fixed my face to be like, I'm in love with this other person and it's a girl. <laughs> like I'm all the way happy. Doesn't she understand? I'm not trying to fucking chase you down type shit. And this conversation I know just is a sock in the sock in the throat for him. He probably probably could have worded that a little bit softer. Probably could have done things a little bit softer. But I know this conversation was one of a handful of conversations that had been had within the last two days um, between me and her, and just where he was at in the mental processes of his head. So. That conversation happens, and, you know, I didn't think anything of it, so we just hung up the phone, went about our business. About a day later, I go into the car dealership, because I'm going to fill out paperwork. Because I just got a car from the same dealership and I was going to send the referral to these two so they could put it on their car payment. And um, so I called him and he didn't answer. And so I called her and she didn't answer. And she messaged me back, asked me for his brother's number. And I just, that's always sus to me because I, you know, I was with him for six years. Basically, we spent this entire week trying to figure out what the fuck, where's Zach? I had just started a new job. So what ends up happening is by the time we get to Friday, I wake up and I, it's just fucking weird that no one's heard from him. It's just, it's just wrong. Something's wrong. I go to work. I have to pretend like my day is normal, but I get to my lunch break and I'm sitting in my car by myself and I'm just talking to him. And I'm like, you better not be sitting in my car with me. I really need you to not be in my back seat right now. So I get off work. I call his wife and I'm like, you know, where did he go? What motel did he go to? Because he doesn't leave. If he feels safe, he doesn't leave. He won't go anywhere because it, he gets so paranoid. And so she told me, and I drove up there and I found the car. And she was calling the front desk, trying to get them to come open the door. And they were like acting all shady about it. So I walked into the front desk. Um, my son's like parked outside watching Octonauts on my phone, eating a Happy Meal. I walked into the office and I was just like, somebody needs to go check on him because nobody's heard from him for days and he could very well be dead in your hotel room. And they looked at me with big ass eyeballs because they don't want a whole fucking room full of people knowing that. That's the shit they try to avoid. So they send a guy out. Guy goes up there. He says, oh yeah, he's in there. He's sleeping. And I'm on the phone with his wife and she's like, tell the guy that he, they're, they're calling the cops. Ask him if you can like forewarn him that he's going to get arrested. See if he gets up and fucking whatever. So I go up there. Like to ask the guy the guy's like yeah you can do that so I run up there really fast because it's you know out of sight from my car so I'm trying to hurry because my kid is watching Octonauts eating a Happy Meal in my car like I have to hurry and I can't believe I'm like hunting his dad down you know 
And I had walked up to this room before I went to the front desk and I didn't feel anything in this room. So when we had to walk back to this room and he cracked the door, I see my son's dad face down on this bed and I can just tell. And I looked at that guy and I said, you need to open this door. He's not breathing. And he's, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he opens the door. And from the angle of the door, looked like he was sleeping. If you didn't know him, you would think that because his laptop was like blocking the view. So you didn't see the top part of his body. You just saw the bottom half. And so when I walked in, I just looked at him and I took my right hand and I touched his ribs. And I just was like, holy shit, this is real. (laughs) And then I kind of like jumped up and down and like breathed real hard, you know, and I like ran the fuck out of there. I was like, I have to get back to my kid. I have to go back to my car now. And I thanked that guy, you know, like I, I ran back to my car and I called his wife and I was like, yo, he's dead. And she starts getting hysterical, you know, she's like, he's dead. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, what are we going to do? Like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? And I started just frantically asking her what we were going to do. And she just was like, we have each other. We have each other. We still have each other. And, um, I can't tell anybody how great it feels to be able to offload it when you get to kind of walk through it and feel it and experience it. And then at the same time, obviously it's um, just the tragic. It's the whole tragic of like how things shift you in different directions, you know? At this time, baby girl is five months. Lyric is five, can be six. And um, it shifted the whole trajectory of things, right? Like, as you can imagine. <laughs> okay, I'm take a breath and I'll. Word. You know? Word. <laughs> so. We are officially coming up on, it'll be three years in March of next year. So right now we're about to hit that two and a half year mark. The first thing I did was go get Lyric into a children's grief support group. While the children are doing their grief support group, the parents can voluntarily do the the parent grief support group, or we don't have to, we just have to be present. We can go in another room and read a book if we don't want to talk to other people. I participate in it because I think that the leaders are really super cool and not really allowed to talk about it that that detailed, right? Because I'm protecting other people. But the group itself, I I definitely, definitely plan on giving to this charity in a real, real way. I'm excited for that. The reason why I bring up tragic comedy into this is because my experience with Zach was so much fun. Like, it was such a roller coaster. We used to do some of the funnest things together that I could totally do with other people, but when you're doing it with someone who just is so you, it's a trip. And when you fight with them, you're fighting with someone who is so you, it's a trip. Communication is huge. And I think sometimes even when you want to be the best communicator, the point gets lost in translation. And if we're not careful to listen and reach for others, we end up kind of lost in a box, you know? 
It's important to note that the time that Zachary lapsed, he had a year and a half of clean time. This is crazy. Like it's it's crazy that I'm actually gonna like put this on a podcast. I think is what's even crazier. Um so Zach had that year and a half of clean time under his belt. This was his first relapse since then in August of 2017. And there was a point in time where I when we were in family therapy, I had told him, I just looked him in his face and was like, you you can't go back. You can never go back. And, you know, he reassured me that he understood that, but I knew, kind of knew in that moment. And this was right before this, like, acceptance that I had when I was like, you know, if it goes this way, I'll deal with it. I just knew. And so for me, being the person that found him, being the person that was always pushing to find him, like I like I did when he was down south with his sister and his brother, like it just doesn't surprise me that that's how this would end. Like we went from this like in love infatuation to this like deep rooted, you know, friendship that becomes so much more rooted in what you are as family versus what you are primally, like sexually. It's not even about that at some point when you go to this space with your co-parent becomes you're my friend and I care about what happens to you and then that's kind of why I see it as like a romantic tragedy kind of like it's a Shakespearean thing like we get to this really cool place in our friendship and then this is how the fuck it ends and I know that baby girl is like I I get to spend every other weekend with her I co-parent her all day like she is Zach dreamed about her when we first started dating, he had a dream about a little girl with curly blonde hair and blue eyes. She was about the age she is right now. <laughs> and so for me, that's why I say you get into these what ifs when you start like building out the things that happen in the crossroads because you can see the crossroads so fucking clearly. But the choices you make are the choices that you make and they get you to this path that you're actually on. And... <laughs> I would never, ever, 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 ever change anything because our kids are like the coolest children in the whole universe. Like she is so special and I love being with her. Being with her is like being with him and I love being with my son because being with my son is absolutely being with him and being with me. (laughs) So I wouldn't change any level of the tragedy because I realize the value in that growth that we have gotten to um, better understand, especially now. There's some level of this where baby girl is going to go through her life and her dad was taken out of her life at a really early age, like myself. And the way that she comes into her mother's world is as a healing process, as a mother-daughter healing process, to heal a relationship there with mother to daughter. And... The way that she comes into my son's world is as an opportunity to reflect on his dad and be able to build on his dad with a sibling who will never know him the way that he did. So there's so many layers to how if you can take the the beauty and you can take the growth out of the tragedy, you set the trajectory, you set the direction. And you don't give up. You don't waver from love. You don't waver from choosing love. Choosing to stand together as a team. Um, She and I will probably end up doing a podcast series. 
to go through different facets of our relationship, our dynamics, our personality differences, pathways in our lives. Like we've actually discussed getting into it pretty deep. So um, I look forward to being able to hit you guys up with details about that when that comes out. I'm going to stop with this episode right immediately because it's literally officially going to be long as fuck. But I appreciate you listening. This was quite literally the most like profound episode I've been on. And I appreciate you being here. Peace.